Greetings. Welcome to Haber Bros, a podcast for historic cross-centered Christians. We seek to provide ancient answer to a culture that's forgotten the questions. Thank you for listening this week. If you like what you're hearing or enjoy the show, please share it with a friend and say positive things about us on Twitter and Facebook. If you haven't yet given us a five-star review, pause your recording and give us a five-star rating and a lovely review. Follow us on Twitter at at ClergyLay and join our Facebook discussion group. We are back after a week away from the podcast as we went off the grid onto the lovely shores of lakes, lake country on the Canadian border in northern Minnesota last week. Oh, I think think you're wrong, Kirk. I don't think there was a Sunday last week. That's why we did not cover the readings. No, it's, for there, they, like it's kind of a weird thing in the lectionary that we skip from the fifth Sunday after Pentecost. It's to the, the seventh six day week. It's an yeah. astronomical anomaly, yeah. I believe. I'm Kirk Haberman, a church musician, and this is my brother Chris, a priest. Chris, how are you? I'm great, Kirk, and we are doing this in person. Uh, this is a rare pleasure that we get to have uh, to sit in the same room without a podcast <laughs> mic and shout at the. <laughs> the MacBook Air microphone, and, and hope that the audio quality is okay. We right. are vacationing hard. If my voice sounds strange, it's because part of vacationing hard uh, means jumping off rocks into the lake. <laughs> and one thing that I've struggled with in the last decade is is the, the propulsion of water <laughs> up my nose and into my sinuses has become an issue. So I've I, I think I'm developing a sinus infection. I'm I'm doing everything I can to stave it off. But uh, we had a fun day of of, of jumping off of, of rocks into into lakes. And uh, Kirk, you jumped off uh, the big the big rock. <laughs> the I big did not. Rock. So uh, speaking of your sinus infection, the summer of 2007. So <laughs> the summer that, uh, that that you and I and a friend of ours, Chad Painter, um, came to northern Minnesota in the lake country and the cabin um, without our wives. It's the only summer that, that we've ever done that um, since we've been married. And it was because my wife was pregnant with our first child. But uh, that uh, was the first time I ever noticed we we did jump off the the, the big rock. Yeah. What, what, what would we say? We don't want to exaggerate, but it's, I think it's 25 30, feet. 25 feet? Okay. So it, it you hit the water with some real impact and momentum if you don't hit it properly. It's it's a thrill. It's a genuine thrill. And uh, we had to drive uh, effectively an hour away to get some Sudafed for you. Yep. And that was the first time that you you like explained that this is a thing that happens to you. So, But now, let the listener understand that this week, that was not the rock that did that for you, Christopher. It was a smaller rock. It was something far, far smaller. And um, I forget if it was my wife or my children um, were, were were concerned because they 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 noted to me. They said said Kirk, 
uh, or dad, doesn't he plug his nose when he goes in? So we're like baffled as to how this is even happening. Well, if I you're mean, taking it, it is a smaller rock, but preventative it's still measures. about 15 feet off the ground, which means uh, I, I tried plugging my nose the first time. And like my my hand was violently separated <laughs> from my nose, and uh, and so that was the end of that. So the, every subsequent jump was uh, non plugged nose. So we we should we should post uh, yeah. some, some video of, of us going in. But uh, we um, for the listeners that, that don't know, uh, our grandfather uh, built a cabin with his own hands. Uh, I should know what year that was. How many years ago, Kirk? Uh, early seventies. <laughs> we should know the exact early seventies. Uh, in, in just I don't know, a number of years after building it, uh, the national they formed a national park. How and far from the Canadian border, Christopher, in northern Minnesota? Half a mile. I don't know. Yeah, the other side of the right. lake is Canada. Yeah. Yep. You, you look across the lake. The other side is Canada, and the Park Service came in. Park Service came in and forced sales, and uh, our grandparents received a lifetime lease, and. Uh, Nana died, we'll say four years 2018. ago, 2018 and pop-up died a year ago. And, uh, because of COVID, uh, we were not able to gather together as a family, um, for his f- funeral or memorial service. And we asked the park service, could we have one more year for one last, uh, one final family gathering at the cabin and, um, and also just pop-ups community that he had, uh, at, at this large church in Minneapolis. Um, they wanted to come together for his memorial service, and they weren't able to gather last June when he died. So he had a memorial service on Saturday, and we we drove up uh, north on Saturday evening. And uh, we spent four nights with um, with uh, our grandfather's uh, four sons, one of whom is our father, and all of our cousins and uh, their children, and uh, had some time to reflect on pop-up's legacy, our, our grandfather's legacy, right. and uh, but also just enjoy, uh, it was a bittersweet ending to a chapter of our life of, of, a, of going to this cabin yeah. uh, that's up here. And so, uh, our, so the one aspect was the cabin and the family legacy, but the other aspect is just lake fun. Yeah, jumping off yeah. of stuff into water, uh, driving across the lake and, and seeing an old friend and kind of floating with four boats together in the middle of the lake and jumping <laughs> off there in, into the lake. Uh, there's something called a lily pad, which is this floating, mm-hmm. how would you describe it? this fo- foam uh, thing f- about the size of a room yeah. that floats in the lake. And our kids, uh, you can anchor it and the kids can it's, play it's on it. It's buoyant enough off. that like six kids can kind of jump up and down it on it, sort of trampoline-like. When you and I get on it, it we kind of become yeah. like King it's Kong, comical, yeah. yeah, raging, and like we go up to our knees in water in Lake Water. Yeah. Um, but it's great for kids to kind of mess around in the bay with it. And and some of our our our, our children and our and our nieces and nephews that were less confident swimmers, that was a great way to spend hours oh, yeah. just kind yeah. of on the lake. They swam across the bay, gaining, with it. gaining confidence. Dragged that thing across. And as that, Kirk swam across the bay, he, he with his Fitbit was able to measure how far mm-hmm. that is. How, how far is it across the bay? What did, what, so what did we say? Twenty-seven Olympic pool laps, and uh, would we say seven or sixty-eight yards? So seven or sixty-eight yards, half a mile, half a mile round trip. Yeah. So, so yeah, 
Yeah, and so the kids did that, and and today we just uh, canoed into the BWCA, the Boundary Waters Canoe Area, mm-hmm. uh, and and that was neat for uh, everybody to be able to do that. Yeah, the Boundary Waters Canoe Area for 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 those who are unfamiliar with it um, is this place that's set aside. It's it's sort of like a national park, um, except in some ways more rad- a more radical vision. Uh, there, there are no motorized vehicles permitted, um, so it's only canoes, and uh, it's by by permit. I mean, I, you you need permits to go into a national park as well, but but there's there there's a there's a vision for leaving pristine wilderness pristine, and so you hear no sound of motorboats. Um, the water is absolutely pristine because there are no there there's no residential or commercial development in it. Um, it's just kind of people in there living, living off the land, right? Fishing for their dinner or, or, um, very, very frugally eating what they carried in with them and camping. And, uh, and so we, I mean, we didn't, we, we, maybe in our future, we have camping trips, uh, that may be in our future, but, but today we did a little day trip yeah. and I think it created it, it, it maybe set the hook a little bit, created some excitement for our children to do that in the future with our father. Yeah, thankfully it was a great experience. Yeah. You know, it wasn't like pouring rain or cold or or uh, it was a beautiful day and yeah. everyone had a good time. And and it's interesting. I, I feel like I came out of the womb with a paddle in my hand, <laughs> but I'm sure it was, uh, there had to be patience with with you and I as we learned to canoe. Uh, and and Kirk and I were at the back of the canoe steering, yeah. which, which, uh, in watching our children try, you know, attempt to paddle, uh, with, with various, with varied success. Well, here's the hilarious cruelty of teaching your children to paddle. So you need to, you need someone skilled in the back of the canoe to, to, to go where you want to go, right. To yeah. steer. Um, but the real grunt work is done up front, <laughs> like any, you know, front wheel drive vehicle, a canoe is essentially front wheel drive. Uh, and so Except you're, you're putting, you're putting the child in the front who yes. like, well, you know, is weighing 70 pounds or whatever <laughs> and asking them to do the work going into the wind. Well, well, uh, we are kind of, Oh, okay. I'll pat a little bit on the left to correct it a little bit on the right. I felt bad about that. So as soon as they're able to able to canoe in the back, that'll be great yeah. for them to, to go in the back and, and take, take control of that. So that's, that's where we are. And that's why we've been, uh, we've been, we were gone last week. And if we seem kind of slowed down and it's slowed down, <laughs> that's why, because I, I am slowed down and uh, it's just been good. It's It's been great, Kirk. And uh, not only that, but this is like legitimately, uh, th- this area is, is our hometown, in fact. And um, as, as I stopped at the pharmacy to pick up Sudafed this time around to kind of hopefully stave off a sinus infection, uh, or at least this number one treatment uh the it's kind of cool the pharmacist um is uh isn't a classmate but is married to a classmate but thankfully like we're on good terms i wasn't rejected you mean he didn't say is this not the son of craig and brother of kirk didn't say that didn't say that huh and i wasn't rejected (laughs) unlike jesus at nazareth
Today's gospel reading comes from Mark chapter 6, verses 1 through 6. He went away from there and came to his hometown, and his disciples followed him. And on the Sabbath he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things? What is the wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hands? Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary and brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. And Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and among his relatives and in his own household. And he could do no mighty work there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. And he went about among the villages teaching the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So, Kirk, let's move back a little bit in Mark and review uh, where we've been to kind of understand what's happening here. So in Mark's gospel so far, uh, in, the, in the first chapter, we see him sort of make his debut in the synagogue, uh, where he is teaching in the synagogue in Capernaum. And this is chapter 1, verse 28. And uh, I'll quote from there. It says, At once his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. So even in his first days of his ministry, uh, people in Ga Nazareth, Nazareth is in Galilee. So they would have heard of Jesus and, and his um, uh, how, how he taught as one with authority, right? And uh, as we move throughout uh, these early chapters of Mark, in chapter 4, he, he gives this parable, the parable of the sower. And he teaches that uh, there's a sower goes out and he sows, he's kind of tossing seeds. And some of the seed uh, fell along the path and birds devoured it. And some of the seed fell on rocky ground and immediately it springs up. And since there's no depth of soil, when the sun rose, it scorched these plants. And other seeds still uh, fell among thorns and thorns grew up and choked out. And, and th these seeds yielded no grain but other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain growing up and increasing and yielding 30-fold and 60-fold and 100-fold. And I, I love this saying that he ends. He says, he who has ears, let him hear. And that's kind of what we're seeing here, is those in Nazareth are hearing him preach, <laughs> uh, but they're not receiving the teaching. So they have ears, but they, they, are, they are not hearing. And, and we see a contrast here. Also, in chapter 5, Jesus performs three miracles. Uh, so he, uh, unfortunately, we, we did not record an episode. So we missed the the, uh, the healing of the woman who had the, the discharge of blood. And we also missed uh, the raising <laughs> of Jairus' daughter from the dead. Uh, but we did uh, experience, experience. we did talk yeah. about um, the Gerasene demoniac. Well, so I thought were, you were going to say we experienced uh, my, my son reading that lesson in mm, church, church yeah. at, at, at my father's uh, church here in Italy. Yeah. Uh, so he does these three miracles in chapter five, and it's kind of interesting, the contrast between chapter five and chapter six. Um, so what, Kirk, do you remember what he said to the woman who he healed, who had this discharge of blood for 12 who, years? Who touched me? Okay. He said <laughs> okay. All right. Okay. But and, uh, he said, what he says, Man, I, I should be better at feeding you your life. He says, daughter, your faith has made yes, you well. Yeah, okay. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. And he says this one other time in uh, the Gospel of Mark to, to the uh, Bartimaeus, the blind man, um, in 
chapter 10, verse 52. And we don't want to press this point too far to say that um, there are faith healers that kind of abuse a text like this. And uh, I've probably told this story before, but uh, one of my favorite teachers growing up, uh, she didn't have a full voice. She spoke with this kind of gravelly, mm. uh, gravelly voice. And she talked about, um, not in class, but um, she, she was a part of our church. And she talked uh, about how there was a time when, when she was a part of a, like a Pentecostal church and a bunch of people laid hands on her throat, wanting to restore her voice. Cause what she, what she, the, her speaking voice was uh, a little bit more than a, than a whisper. Right. Uh, and they wanted, they sought to heal her uh, voice in, in, in their theology um, belief and healing were tied right. really closely together as if, if you aren't healed, somehow you lack faith in some way. Uh, or maybe someone praying lacks faith, and and we don't believe that. We don't believe that that um, that healing is not efficacious because of the lack of faith of of, of people. Um, if if we're praying for somebody who's dying, um, God may or may not choose to heal that person, and and sometimes that is a mystery to us. So we don't want to press this too hard. But Jesus did say, "Your faith is made well," and and we do see a lot here. Uh, that is emphasized on that. And we see that, that, that people in Nazareth lack faith. Uh, and what's curious is, is, is faith necessary for healing? Well, here's a demon possessed man who is healed of this demon. <laughs> he clearly had no faith and yet Christ uh, of his own volition decided to heal him. Right? So, so he's Jesus in healing the demon possessed man is indicating that faith is not necessary for healing. And yet he is teaching that, that, um, that he is working particularly in places where there is a response to him, a positive response of belief. Does that make sense, Kirk? Absolutely, yeah. And uh, as we were talking about this passage, uh, we were out walking around, yes. you, yes. me, and Dad. and um, Not just walking around, but like around a pristine lake in the wilderness in the North yeah. Woods. It was beautiful. And we see in, in less developed cultures uh, how there are, are more reports of miraculous healings. Mm -hmm. And I've heard secondhand from people who witnessed <laughs> miraculous healings. I, one of my uh, seminary teachers, one of the professors, talked about what, witnessing a man's leg grow several inches in front of his very own eyes in Africa. He's a missionary, and this guy had one leg that was much, significantly shorter than the other. They prayed, and they watched it grow. Um, and um, that, that that's tied to an expectation of that. And here in the West, um, we rely on, on medicine and technology, uh, much to the detriment of what God can do. Uh, that was kind of a, a discussion that we had as we were <laughs> hiking around these lakes and yeah. waterfalls. If I may interject, yeah. um, C.S. Lewis uh, speaks about that um, wistfully in an essay um, about um, our mechanistic view, our, our scientism. Yes. Um, um, not, not only does it kill the wonder in us, but it's almost as if, and I, I can't capture this in quite the way that, that he explained it, um, but it, but it does limit our ability to encounter the magic of creation. Um, and that would make sense that, um, as we have an increasingly mechanistic view of the, of creation, where we kind of seek to find the levers of power and manipulate it towards our own kind of, um, 
technological triumph uh, and and um, and I guess dominion is a biblical concept, but like subjugation of the world around mm-hmm. us, um, that it would um, sap our ability to to see um, the miraculous and encounter the miraculous. Sure. Um, as we seek to kind of exert power instead of marvel at the beauty and miraculous nature of creation and God's good gifts, which involve miracles, right? Yeah, and yeah. involve healing for the people he loves. And, um, and and during the season in which he walked amongst us, um, took pity on and, and healed. So, uh, yeah, that would make total sense that we we have lost the ability to see, both to, to see and be involved with the miraculous as we've increasingly have a mechanistic view of creation. Notice the word, um, even the word creation is fraught. We were we were talking with someone, Christopher, who uh, who is in ministry, who is hesitant to use the word creation because uh, he felt that it was a freighted word, a loaded word, right? Mm-hmm. That, that, that um, betrayed a fundamentalist view of the universe, right? So you have Christians who feel like they need to use the word, use whatever, uh, nature or ecosystems, which that too saps the wonder and the miraculous out of um, the created order. Yeah, and, and we try to cushion our fall. Like we don't want to be, we don't, so Jesus teaches in the Sermon on the Mount, he says, uh, seek first the kingdom and all these things will be added unto you. We don't want to rely on God to provide us with food and clothing and a place to live. Uh, we want to make sure that we have our, our bases covered. And so I'm not going to say cash out your IRAs <laughs> and uh, and hit the road and and, and uh, bring only, uh, you know, the few things that Jesus said to bring when he sent out his disciples. I'm, I'm not going to say that, but uh, to, to think about like what, what it is that you put your trust in. And, and also, um, I mean, I probably talked before about this article that was, that's uh, really struck me powerfully about um, there were Christians who, it, it, the article was called the secret fears of, of the ultra rich, something, something like that. <laughs> and like, there was this person who's a Christian who said, I will not feel financially secure until I have a billion dollars. I mean, who amongst us has <laughs> Because we all think that if we had 10% more or 20% more, uh, yeah, whether, have you seen what, that? no matter how wealthy you are. The psychology of income, it's, sure. it's usually around 10%. Like, yeah. no matter who if I had that asked. much more, I'd be satisfied. Yeah. I would be secure. Yeah. I would be, uh, and, and ultimately, um, Jesus wants you to be secure in him uh, and, and to not put your trust in, in those things um, because those things cannot satisfy. There are people who have literally $800 million and are like, I feel like it could all be taken away like that. <laughs> and these are, are right. professing Christians who, who, who um, Jesus isn't enough. So, so anyway, that, that's an aside. Uh, I, I do, I do want to say one other thing about this, this woman who had this flow of blood, uh, this discharge of blood. So it's unclear exactly what it is, but it's, it's uh, probably something dealing with like menstruation. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that this is uh, something that would have made her ceremonially unclean, right? So she would have not only had this uh, affliction, she would have been uh, kept from right. uh, from any sort of... Um, the temple feasts? Yeah, all yeah. of that stuff. Yeah, She, she would have been like a leper. Yeah. Um, she would have been ceremonially unclean. And, and this is something we talked about. Not just the temple feast, but synagogue worship. Right. In, all in, of it. In the hill all country. Of it. Yeah. All of it. 
she could not come near anybody um, without them becoming unclean. Her encountering somebody uh, and coming even close and and this is something that we don't talk a lot about, but in the parable of the Good Samaritan, the dumb reason, question, would she have been able to use the mikvah baths or would she have been prevented from that? I, I don't know. What are the mikvah baths? That was the, that was what ceremonial cleansed you. You do essentially, you basically like six feet deep. You'd walk through it. You'd come Oh, out. sure. But like, she's still right. flowing blood. So right. like she would be instantly unclean again. Yeah. I'm sorry. You're you're about to. It, well, it, hey, hey, as long as we're doing as, asides. <laughs> okay, um, all right. You know, we have all these uh, ritual and ceremonial laws in Leviticus and Deuteronomy that that I think are misunderstood, uh, and 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 really betray sort of a um, a uh, kind of Marcionitism. Yeah. Uh, that it's like, oh, well, these are like unreasonable laws that God has. And maybe even um, some people think they're uh, patriarchal, um, that like a woman would be considered unclean. Like, oh, that's not fair. Like, why would a woman be considered unclean? That's not that's patriarchal. Right. No, no. Um, this is a mercy that a man um, must not um, have sex with his wife while she is menstruating. So in a patriarchal society, there was provision for the weaker um, in that society, for women to say, like, no, man, you cannot... Um, have sex with your wife while she's menstruating. This is a time that you need to let her um, get through before you may go back to your marriage bed. And um, or let's or let's be frank, anyone else like a maid servant, sure, or whomever. I mean, in a, in a patriarchal society, there was probably a lot of that too. Yeah, yeah. And, and so this is provision. But this woman was flowing blood for years and years and years, and and was kept from um, kind of polite society. Uh, and and the reason I raised the Good Samaritan is we had the Levite and the and the priest. Or who did we have walk by? Regardless, the two people that walked by, one of the reasons they didn't encounter this man who's beat up is like if he were dead, encountering a dead body would make you ritually unclean, and you would have to be cleansed before you could go back into temple worship. And like that, just for them, was kind of an inconvenience. But it it betrays like what, what Jesus said when he talked about like. So it'd be like it's it's like man was not not made for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for man. Like the heart of the law is justice and mercy. And like uh, we we misuse the law to say I'm not going to help this guy who is dying or maybe dead because that would make that would be inconvenient for me. No no no. Give give this guy mercy, right? Make sense. What were you going to say? I, I mean, I, I don't I don't want to deviate too far from this <laughs> passage. Uh, the, the analogy to me with uh, in, in the parable of the Good Samaritan is it, when you get hit by someone else and it's not your fault in a vehicle, right? Um, you did nothing wrong, um, but yet you've got you've got to go through the whole insurance bureaucratic uh, spider web um, to kind of get out on the other side. And it's going to involve a lot of time and effort. And, um, and for, for the, the priest or the Levite to cross the road and to encounter this man would set them on a chain to go through this whole, oh, be a whole thing, a whole thing, a whole thing, to go through the whole thing. Well, right? you know what? So why go through the whole thing? Well, yeah. Cause God loves the, <laughs> right. God and loves the wounded and the weak. Why. Yeah. 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 So just as Jesus in his baptism, who Jesus was without sin, did not require baptism. Jesus going into the water cleanses the water for everyone. Um, that that uh, when we encounter uncleanness, um, we are made unclean. Uh, but Jesus, when Jesus encounters this unclean woman, 
he does not become ritually unclean. Instead, she becomes clean, right? Yes. Healed and clean. So she can't make him unclean because he is pure. And, and it just reminds me of Charles Wesley's great hymn, Oh, for a thousand mm-hmm. tongues to sing, my great Redeemer's praise, the glories of my God and King, the triumph of his triumphs of his grace is that yes. what it is? Yep. so the, the, the verse i'm thinking of is he breaks the power of canceled sin he sets the prisoner free his blood can make the foulest clean mm-hmm. his blood availed for me so he he friend he cleanses you and he cleanses me and when he encounters this woman who is ritually unclean he is not made unclean but in fact he cleanses her and that's a really really cool thing to to think about so, uh, so Jesus is out, out and about. And so last chapter in, in, in chapter five, we see him, uh, encounter Jairus and his, and his daughter, uh, this unclean woman. And he goes into this, uh, area of Gentiles, right? Uh, and, and he casts out this demon. Well, he comes home to Nazareth and, uh, what happens? He is, uh, rejected and even insulted. So, uh, they call him son of Mary, and some people suppose. So notice they don't say son of Joseph, and this could be as as we suppose. Perhaps Joseph is dead, and so the only reference is to be like, "Oh, aren't you the son of Mary?" Um, but it could be an insult, saying like, right. do, "Do you remember how um, when Mary was pregnant, uh, Joseph was gonna like divorce her, kind of, or or end right. the the engagement kind of quietly, so as to not embarrass her." Um, they might be alleging that that uh, Mary was a kind of a trashy woman. That, that like, <laughs> um, you're not you're not Joseph's son is perhaps what they're alleging. You get what I'm saying? Maybe speculation, speculation. or it could be just that Joseph's dead. Could be that Joseph's so. dead. Um, and uh, basically, he teaches as Jesus does, and it ought to have been an awe-inspiring thing. Um, he taught as one with authority. And um, the people who, who heard him ought to have believed, but they don't. Jesus is amazed at their, un- he marveled at their unbelief, uh, which is crazy. He went into this Gentile region and had success. Right. Um, and not only that, this, this Gerasene de- demoniac uh, was so moved by his encounter with Jesus that he became this zealous evangelist, right? And yet Jesus' own people rejected him. And uh, we, uh, in the book of Mark, we, we, Jesus did not enter another synagogue ever again. This was his last time in a synagogue. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. So uh, it's interesting that just a few verses later in, in verse 11, uh, Jesus kind of gives a teaching, perhaps kind of building on this. He's like, hey, look, we had, we had success here. We had success there uh, in, in, in both Jewish and Gentile regions. And in my hometown, we did not have, uh, the, the, the teaching did not bear fruit. And he teaches, he says, if any place will not receive you and they will not listen to you, when you leave, shake off the dust that is now on your feet as a testimony against them. And that's what Jesus is doing here. He's amazed at their unbelief. And uh, and, and so he leaves. Like not at, He kind of teaches them, like, not every place will will bear fruit and certainly kirk in, in my life not everyone i've i've presented the gospel to has has responded and uh i guess lastly uh i want to say this um there's an interesting verse here it says and he could do no mighty work there 
And and so you might wonder, is Jesus constrained by the, the response of people that like faith is required for him to be able to have the power to work? Well, certainly not. We kind of established that um, in this Gentile region that before anyone was able to have faith, Jesus had power and cast out these demons. That Jesus has power, of course, on his own. Uh, but, but there is a, yet this underlying teaching of, of God's power working uh, in, in kind of conjunction with faith. Um, and in fact, uh, you know, Jesus does mighty works. And certainly these people in Nazareth heard about his mighty works, right? How are such mighty works done by his hands, they say. Right. So he could have been this, he could have, uh, have, done any miracle he could have i'm trying to think you know spun a, a house on his pinky you know <laughs> like a basketball and people would have been like ah whatever like don't you remember this jesus guy like don't you remember when he was a little kid and like pooping his pants and like i mean i, I wonder kirk if, if i were to go back and um preach a sermon uh in my hometown and, and like have have maybe my peers or maybe my teachers right. who saw me in my immaturity, right. uh, would, would they have a hard time listening to me? Like, it's it's not unthinkable that people would be uh, like, hey, isn't this, can we know this guy? Like, this kind of this, this, uh, this, this, uh, this carpenter is, is the way that the ESV translate it. Um, he's a craftsman of some sort. There's this word I think is only used twice, uh, just a couple times in the New Testament. And some people suppose, suppose it's not, necessarily uh it, it's a craftsman maybe a builder of, of types but what's so sad about this too is um we know geographically how close these other galilean towns where he he did effective ministry capernaum mm -hmm. yeah. cana um on the shores of the sea of tiberias the sea of galilee um this isn't far from nazareth and yet right. um you know stony hearts are stony hearts yes <laughs> and uh for whatever reason um they could not be penetrated by these mighty acts that were by, by the truth of right. they and saving this grace of these mighty acts that were so close. They acknowledge this. They said, what is the wisdom given to him? Like they acknowledge that it's <laughs> wisdom, right? And they acknowledge yeah. the mighty works and they still don't believe. It's kind of like, uh, is it that in Luke where um, we have the uh, the rich man and Lazarus? Yes. Where no. um, Luke or Matthew. Where, where uh, it's, it's a parable. Yeah, a rich man and Lazarus. This this uh, Lazarus is the beggar at, at his gate, uh, and 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 the rich man gives him nothing. They both die. Uh, God loves the poor, so the poor uh, man uh, Lazarus is in heaven, and and uh, the rich man is in hell. And he can, and there's like this. They can kind of speak across this gulf, and and the rich man in hell's like, man, can we at least like, can I get a you know a little bit of water to cool off my tongue? Nope. Uh, you showed no mercy. You will receive none. And then it's like, well, can I at least tell my brothers so they, they don't suffer the same fate? And um, the kind of teaching of the story is that, like, they had, they the, had prophets, Moses and the prophets. Moses and the prophets. Yeah. No work, no, no miracle, no, like, even the dead being raised, right? right? People who, who had the testimony of Christ raised from the dead. Yeah still will yeah. not believe yeah i mean the old testament version of this moses dealt with this right like so this is a people that walked through dry dry <laughs> the dry land as the red seas are being parted mm -hmm. and then days later say like yeah wasn't the food great back in egypt oh man like <laughs> cucumbers and yeah okay. so this is this isn't about um how hard-hearted the hebrews were or first century judeans but this is how hard 
all of our hearts are, right? Mm. Human nature is equally distributed. And we are always inclined towards unbelief and hard-heartedness and forgetting um, that which our Lord has just done for us yesterday Mm. or last year or whatever, and how he holds us in the palm of his hand even now. And we just cannot see it. Amen. Uh, I do have, uh, we're, we're butting up against time on the end of this segment, Christopher, but this reminded me of a comment that Martin, Martin Luther once talked about. He he called the gospel a fahrender Platzregen, <laughs> um, a passing rain shower. Mm. Uh, and he, 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 he trembled for Germany um, because uh, in the metaphor of a passing rain, rainstorm, he said, oh, my beloved Germans, um, buy while the market is at your door. Gather in the harvest while there is sunshine and fair weather. Make use of God's grace and word while it is still there. For you should know that God's word and grace is like a passing shower of rain, which does not return where it has once been. Uh, and 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 we don't know that that's necessarily true. But the but the point is that um that there there are uh, places and eras of aridity. Where for whatever reason, um, God's favor and grace has has shown, and then um, hard-heartedness wins out in the end, and the gospel, like a passing rain shower, moves on um, to other lands and 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 and, and rains its its um its healing water on other lands. So, um, I I pray that it it uh, not be for us and for the people we know and love that the gospel that the rain shower continues to water the, mm. our hard and stony mm. hearts mm. and that um jesus not marvel <laughs> at our unbelief any any final thoughts christopher let's move on to uh, our next segment Today we are going to combine our theology and culture segments and ask this question. Christopher, we were recording on July 3rd on a Saturday, and uh, there are questions roiling Christian Christian communities and churches in America about um, just how we should feel about um, such national holidays, uh, specifically Independence Day. And so um, I want to paraphrase paraphrase Frederick Douglass, who in a poignant essay once asked rhetorically, what is the 4th of July um, to Mm. the black man Mm. or something? uh, I think I have it 90% correct. I'm going to ask, what is the 4th of July to Christians? Christopher, at the end of the podcast today, uh, you will lead us in a prayer from the Book of Common Prayer, which is appointed for Independence Day. Independence Day is a holiday in the major American provinces in the United States. If you're a parishioner in the Episcopal Church or in the Anglican Church in North America, 
Um, it is on our calendar, and we have propers set aside for that day. Many churches have Fourth of July services. There's a long tradition of that, um, and uh, in, in historic Episcopal churches up and down the Eastern Seaboard, um, that tradition probably goes back 250 years. Um, why? And I think uh, that is a really good question for us to to, to dive into. Uh, the first thing to understand is uh, uh, the Episcopal Church, Episcopalianism, Anglicanism in North America um, was the default setting for all English-speaking Christians who came here. And uh, upon, uh, uh, there's an alternate universe where after uh, winning, winning independence, after uh, the Battle of Yorktown and uh, the treaties are signed, um, that there would have been a move to um, <laughs> make uh, Episcopalianism the established religion of the United States. And you have um, some anti-federalists like Thomas Jefferson um, and, and some free thinkers kind of pushing against that. And uh, the reason why uh, that was probably always implausible um, was because uh, many of the colonies were founded not on the model of Christendom, that is an integrated vertical structure of a Christian king, a Christian magistrate, and an integrated church from king all the way down to pauper. Um, but rather, we had colonies that were established um, by religious dissenters who were escaping England. Uh, Roger Williams goes to Rhode Island to establish, well, nothing. Right? There is no established church in Rhode Island, which was baffling to almost everyone at the time. Uh, Massachusetts was a Mass Bay colony, was established um, by the pilgrims, who were even too radical for the Puritans, mm. <laughs> who in 1620 were still a part of the Church of England. Yes. Yeah, the pilgrims were separatists, <laughs> not, not Puritans. Yep. People That's right. mix, tend to mix that up. So even the Puritans that come into these colonies then, are, uh, are still parts of the Church of England. So if you, we've talked about this, I think here before, Christopher, um, I, I noted last summer when I went to Williamsburg in Virginia, if you go to these colonial historic parishes, they don't say, you know, um, Trinity Episcopal Church. It says Trinity Parish Church <laughs> mm. because there was one church. English-speaking Christianity was once united um, under the crown, um, one God, one crown, one navy, one church. Uh, and uh, there's a disintegration that happens as these various colonies are established. In fact, Maryland is established um, as a safe place for uh, dissenting Roman Catholics who are, who are a tiny uh, sect at that point in time in English-speaking Christianity, but then um, slowly begin to grow. And so it's probably always implausible to have um, a, a Christendom model in the United States that is one Christian magistrate uh, one church, one people united under um, under one common faith. And so we've always been a pluralist nation, uh, right? Um, and yet, um, in that pluralism, there was the vague sense that it was always sort of Christian. Um, that's probably breaking down now. Uh, uh, now we have, Christopher, What? It, uh, how many Americans um, say there, we check the Christian box? Is it 60? Is it 70? I don't know. It's something like that. Um, a weekly church attendance is, what, about 20%? That's buoyed up by probably some very church-attending states in the South. Um, if you're above the Mason-Dixon line, um, it might be 10% or below. 
and and so uh, we might begin to wonder what is the Fourth of July to Americans or to Americans to to Christians? Um, should we celebrate Independence Day as Christians, or should we begin to uncouple our vision of human human flourishing with the American vision of human flourishing? Um, I ask that rhetorically. I, I don't think we're there yet. Um, and and you and I, as kind of faithful Anglicans, we I think we 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 happily pray these propers as we'll pray mm-hmm. at the end um, that God bless our nation. Um, uh, I do want to say this before we kind of dive into this free flowing conversation. We only had a couple of bullet points going into this, so I'm excited to hear what you have to say, Christopher. Um, Martin Luther, John Calvin, and then as we begin to go into other. Uh, reformers, I don't know as much about them, but I know certainly that Luther and Calvin, um, they presumed, uh, they, they relied upon um, godly, that there would be in the future godly magistrates. Um, in fact, you could probably say the, the Lutheran and uh, Luther's and Calvin's ecclesiastical model breaks down without a godly magistrate. And we can get into Anglicanism as well, um, because obviously we presume a godly magistrate. Um, I mentioned our founding colonies versus the English model. Well, and, and I do want to say this, Kirk, before we move on from that, is yeah. that the, the the only reason that, not the only reason, the main reason that America did not establish a national church is because they couldn't agree on right. what it would right. be. Uh, I, there, there's, I, I've, I've read a little bit about this. There's, there's a theory that perhaps Episcopalianism could have been shoved down the throats of the other colonies, but there, perhaps, <laughs> you know, and, and so th- this actually did become an issue because uh, up until that point, uh, you know, the, the monarch was the head of, right. of the English church and post-revolution, there became an issue of, of um, who's going to ordain new clergy when, when in fact um, they would have to kind of swear fealty to, to the, the King. Right. And like no, no American could do that um, post revolution. Right. And so uh, they had to work hard to, to essentially get um, three bishops. <laughs> right. Uh, first one bishop to ordain new clergy. And then uh, three bishops can consecrate, uh, additional bishops and so like christopher where did they get those bishops from uh sam seabury uh well yeah from scotland scotland from yeah. scotland um why were no english bishops willing to <laughs> consecrate american clergy because yeah, there was a certain they, unpleasantness yeah in yes yeah. <laughs> it, and so just uh, it is an interesting kind of pivot in in kind of uh, what it means to be a global Catholic, small C Catholic church is is that like instead of one church, on, uh, an English speaking church in one island, as as Anglicanism became a global uh, Catholic church, um, it it becomes less uh, wedded to um, to the to England to the monarch frankly, of England to the, yeah. and to the monarch yeah um, and and uh, so now there are provinces you know all over the world and and most at most. Uh, Anglicans are African uh, today, and um, people who have you know no allegiance to the Queen. So uh, it's kind of politically, and and just even the way that the Church works is that we're a Church of bishops, right. bishops throughout the world, and and uh, so I, I did want to say that, and um, so so some reforms had to be made in in uh, the the Anglican global global Anglican community. So uh, I also do want to say before we move on that. Uh, 
why do we pray? Kirk, you kind of asked the question, well, why, why do we have these propers to pray for, for our, our country and our majesty? I mean, we pray for everything. And uh, we pray for our, our president, no matter what party they're part of. We pray for our governors, yeah. our mayors. Um, we pray for all who hold authority. Um, it sounds like an oversimplified answer, but it's also true. It has the virtue yeah. of being true. And uh, I was just looking up on my on my phone. Uh, I love our liturgy of house blessings. Mm. How we pray through every room, um, and and we f- like find significance in kind of the everydayness of going out and coming in, like the entrance. Uh, I love uh, the prayer in in the entrance. Sovereign Lord, you are Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. Send your servants out from this place on many errands. Be their constant companion in the way. Welcome them upon their return so that coming and going, they may be sustained mm. by your presence, O Christ our Lord. I mean, so we should bathe our lives in prayer, our coming and our going. And we even at, like pray in the bathroom. You're like, oh, well, like, surely like a house blessing would not include prayers to the bathroom. No, we, we pray in the bathroom. Oh, holy God, in the incarnation of your son, our Lord, you made our flesh the instrument of your self-revelation. Give us a proper respect and reverence for our mortal bodies, keeping them clean and fair, whole and sound, that glorifying you in them, we may confidently await our being clothed upon with spiritual bodies. When that which is mortal is transformed by life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. We pray uh, for our mundane stuff, our, our, our washing and cleansing, our, our teeth, tooth brushing, you know, all that stuff. It's significant. So, of course, um, the nation that we reside in, whether it's a just government or unjust, we would pray for it. And uh, we might celebrate our independence less if we <laughs> if, if we didn't believe that our nation was good. Uh, but um, but we do do celebrate and we do acknowledge while also not being a nationalistic church. Yeah. So um, I'd like to read uh, the prayer. We have we have two uh, Holy Communion liturgies in the 2019 Book of Common Prayer. And uh, there there's something that, that comes after the sermon, after the creed. Um, sometimes it's called prayers of the people. Sometimes it's just called the prayers. Uh, and and this is one of the prayers, one of the prayers in um, in in the what's called the standard. Uh, is it called the standard Anglican standard? Liturgy, I should have I should have had this up. Is that right? Okay, okay. And this is how it goes. This is how it goes. We pray that you will lead the nations of the world in the way of righteousness. Right. So there is Christopher. There's that global vision. But then it gets particular, and so guide and direct their leaders, especially Joseph, our president, that your people may enjoy the blessings of freedom and peace. Grant that our leaders may impartially administer justice uphold integrity and truth, restrain wickedness and vice, and protect true religion and virtue. And that, Christopher, and protect true religion and virtue was retained from older prayer books, um, uh, the 1662 Book of Common Prayer and the 1928 Book of Common Prayer. Uh, The 1662 was specifically English, and so you have a Christian sovereign Right, the leader of the Church of England, and so it would make total sense that your sovereign would protect true religion. Uh, and I've heard a priest wonder out loud: at what point does this become untenable? Um, that we would pray that our president 
um, protect true religion and vir virtue. Um, Joe Biden is a, a practicing Roman Catholic, like let us not make windows into men's souls and, and, and wonder what that means. He says it and we should take him at his word. Um, but let's say Bernie Sanders um, was elected president, um, who's a, what, an agnostic Jew, an atheistic Jew. Um, what does it mean if we were to ask that, um, that, uh, that, 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 that Bernie may protect true religion and virtue. I don't. I don't know. Well, one not, does not need to be a believer to protect true religion. Oh yes, right. We've heard the Cyrus model very much. Right. And that and that is that is a biblical model, right? Cyrus did protect. I mean, so uh, the people so of, the, the the church flourished in the Roman Empire um, with, that's with right. both persecution that's right. and with tolerance. So um, when Paul wrote in Romans thirteen. Um, to submit to governing authorities, for there is right. no authority except that which that which God has established. Um, he was writing to people with with a peg in a pagan empire, yeah. um, in a hostile uh, politics. Mm -hmm. um, Caesar was not a friend of the church. And and so think about Saint Augustine's book, The City of God, which I'm not going to pretend that I, I've read. That is some Augustine that I've not read, but but it grapples with what does it mean to be a Roman Christian. And to see, to, to, to recognize that you, Rome is disintegrating. Um, it's something that you loved and right. were born with. Your inheritance, your birthright is coming to an end. And so uh, his his ultimate argument, I, I, I get, this is a, like a dramatic oversimplification because the book is, is hundreds of pages. Um, but that like our citizenship is ultimately, what is it? What is the, um, the line in Hebrews? We have, we have no continuing kingdom, but we seek one to come. Right, our citizenship is ultimately in the long run in the kingdom of God, not the kingdoms of this world. And so, but, whatever but, love Augustine had of Rome, um, in the end, if Rome disintegrated, it was going to be okay for Christians, because their their final citizenship was elsewhere. Yeah, you were about to Haber well, interrupt. Yeah, I was about to Haber interrupt. Um, but but also like um, we see in the book of Jeremiah, uh, prophecy to the people. Yes, um, yes, in Babylon, yes. uh, we hear God saying to them, seek the welfare of the city, mm -hmm. um, plant or build houses and live in them, you know, uh, that they are um, temporarily in exile, but they are to seek the flourishing of this pagan land. And he walks the walk, right? Doesn't mm -hmm. he go back and buy a plot in Jerusalem? Doesn't Jeremiah do that? Sure. No, but 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 at that point, right. the, I think it's Jeremiah 28. I'm not sure. Yeah. Um where, where um, he says to the people in, like, in exile. Right. Like, seek the flourishing of this pagan empire. This, this, this oh, gotcha, These people gotcha, who okay. defeated you. Seek their welfare. Like, build houses and okay, live in them. Okay, I see what you're saying. Um, and, and seek the flourishing of this place. I thought you were making so, a, a different so, point about okay. hoping for um, the revival of the faith in Jerusalem that had become rubble. But you know, your point is 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 quite true and well taken. I take your point. Yeah, that that uh, even as we see if things were falling apart around us, we would still seek the welfare of, of this of this place. Yeah, because God wants health and flourishing and and healing and restoration. Because ultimately, as we do that and proclaim Jesus, like it's it's like a foretaste and a picture yeah. of, of what is to come and a picture of the kingdom. Yeah. To say like we are we are a people who seek. So so I'm a pastor of a church that has five core values and one of them is seeking the renewal of the community that like we want health and wholeness for our neighbors um christian or not that, that we we are do-gooders <laughs> right to, to put it plainly right 
Yeah. Uh, so what would it mean then? Um, we uh, Ours is a particular polity that is founded on a vertical integration of Christian magistrates. Um, in the case of... Wait, um, Christian magistrates? Well, okay, so... You're saying back, back in the day. Anglicanism, Anglicanism. Pre presumes Christian sure. magistrates, and in fact, sure. okay. uh, the Queen Elizabeth is is the um, the head of the Church of England. I got you. Uh, I didn't hear what you were saying as far as yeah, yeah. saying our Anglican faith. And there, yes. there's there's a technical theological term for church body set up that way. It's called Erastianism, that 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 has a tight union between civil leaders and religious leaders. The, um, and, and that that is, uh, I, I gather, that is from a, a kind of a reformed ecclesial vision, that there should be a vertical unity um, from, like I said, from, 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 the, from the civil magistrate, whether that's a monarch or in our case, the president, um, through elected leaders, through citizens, um, through the newborn baby, that there's a vertical integration. Um, um, because uh, as, as a pale reflection of the vertical integration in the kingdom to come, right? When we, as I've said before here, Christopher, we are all in the long run as Christians, monarchists. We will mm. all bow our knee one day um, as the hobbits do at the end of Return of the King to the one true king, um, the good king. Uh, and and so is it maybe that there have been others who have, other Christians who have argued um, for the pluralist model saying it's vanity to to ever hope for vertical integration. And it's funny, Christopher, we have, we've seen in our lifetime Roman Catholics flip, right? right. So Roman Catholics right. um, uh, who came here uh, in, in, in waves, um, first from Ireland, then from Italy, then from other Southern and Eastern European countries, um, in the late 19th century, um, came came into hostility, uh, mm -hmm. and and so they like it was a big deal. Like when JFK became the first Catholic president, yeah. of like there were people who would not vote for him because they don't they said that we don't want like the Pope pulling the strings in America. Yeah, yeah, and so the Know Nothing Party in the 1850s and 1860s um, was genuinely concerned about growing Catholic populations, Roman Catholic populations in uh, in American cities. And so Roman Catholics had to kind of rely upon each other, mm -hmm. rely upon the church and really distance themselves initially in the first several generations from civil society, uh, seeking office, uh, were suspicious of uh, civil magistrates who did not share their faith and civil magistrates who were suspicious of them and their faith. and. Um, in a formulation, a Catholic formulation at the end of the 19th century, um, that to my ear still sounds sneering, and I really dislike it. Um, uh, it was, uh, I forget what Roman Catholic document said that the American founders built better than they knew, meaning that <laughs> the Federalist Papers, the Declaration of Independence, and the Constitution was a happy accident. Um, you had Protestant heretics uh, who accidentally um, built a nation that, 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 that actually was a great hope for mankind and human flourishing and, and, and built the groundwork for, for, for human flourishing in a place where Roman Catholics could actually come and flourish. Uh, and that is, that is just a condescending drivel. So to our Catholic <laughs> listeners, please don't ever say that, um, that, that they built better than you. No, I, I think they had, a, had a vision. They didn't stumble. Well, that's into curious it. because, but, um, because now, I right. I can't say, I can't, well, I can't say for sure the Roman Catholic view, but like, we believe in, in 
in um, just general revelation and natural law and like that the, like there's certain truths that are um, self-evident self yes, yes. <laughs> that all men are created equal yeah and endowed that, that, by that, their creator sure yeah that, that, that like it's not surprising that that, that people up uh, you know apart from god would would find this but um so it's it's interesting um traditionalist catholics uh, um allies of, of you and me um uh, in a vision, in a Christian vision of of living and and faith and worship, uh, now uh, seek something called integralism, <laughs> which seeks that vertical unity. Right. <laughs> which is funny. I don't I don't know how they think that can happen here in the United States when we are so pluralist at this point. Yeah. Um, I mean, Roman. How many Roman Catholics are our nation? We are three hundred fifty million people. Uh, are there 60 million Roman Catholics? I mean, it it's... seems like a lot. <laughs> you think it's and it's, many? Uh, yeah, I don't know. 30 million? I, I don't know how many. And so... Let's just speculate boldly. Right. A non-zero number. So what is the 4th of July then to the Christian, Christopher? Now that we've kind of spat out all these data points and, <sighs> and things to... Well, I don't to mean to about. hem and haw and say on the one hand, on the, one, on the other hand, but... Um, I think America is great. I, I admire our founders for establishing a country uh, that um, seeks uh, justice uh, for all. And I know that we, you know, we, we had a conversation, Kirk, uh, earlier this week about how Martin Luther King Jr. Um, used the founding documents to yes. say we have not realized these fully. Yeah. Um, that that uh, certainly before uh, before the end of slavery we did, but then I think his, after the end his of metaphor was a promissory note that he wanted right. to cash in, right? Yeah, that like <laughs> let's let's truly um, acknowledge that all men and women uh, are created equal and are endowed by the Creator with the unalienable rights of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. That that, that like these founding documents are in fact. Um, uh, great things, and and we have uh, sins in our past as a country, um, but we also have a lot to be proud of. Like we have um, issues today. Uh, we have racism. We have we have uh, things that are unjust. We we have not. Uh, we are not a perfect nation, but um, it's interesting how your politics uh, impacts what you think about our country and whether whether you're uh, left of center or right of center. Um, I think we can acknowledge um, and point to the, the the virtues like articulated in our founding documents, and say like these are good things. Let's realize them more, and and be proud of that. And and so I, I think uh, we can celebrate that. But uh, I think there is a danger um, of of becoming nationalistic. So I think we ought to be patriotic. Um, we can love our country. This is a great country. We can uh, be proud of our heritage. We can have some shame about our sins um, and not hold either thing too too tightly, right? Um, it, it seems um, like people, uh, and not to generalize too broadly, but people left of center um, would say America is a bad place and it has been unfair in, in all these ways. Um, but there is also a blindness. Um, th there's... Uh, a misperception that we're the only place that has racism <laughs> when in right. fact the world is an intensely racist place. And if you've traveled, uh, if, if you know anything about other countries, uh, this is not uniquely American. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But, but on the other hand, like let's not, uh, uh, maybe people on the right might be uh, uh, 
prone to whitewashing uh, our past and, and kind of ignoring uh, kind of our, 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 our racial sins, our, our, our inequities and things like that. And uh, it, it's, I'll, I'll also say this, um, I think it's okay to say God bless America. I know that um, liberal Protestants, uh, you know, there's, there's like the bumper sticker that says, God bless everybody, right. no exceptions. Right. And it's like, no, it's okay to say like, God bless the city, God bless us, God bless his right. family. Right. Um, because uh, it's significant to love one's own. Uh, right. If you've ever been uh, traveling abroad, Kirk, I remember but being- it's just biblical. Yeah. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Yeah. Uh, may they prosper that love thee. Yeah. And there's and a I, sense of being from a place and loving that place and praying for the health of that place and contributing to the health of that place. I mean, yeah. anyone who has a communitarian vision should be able to embrace that. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, I mean, the, 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 I think it's very strange to say, well, I'm never going to pray for any particular person or thing yeah. because like that would exclude. And oftentimes people. these are the same, same people who are like really ardent communitarians that like <laughs> want to volunteer and set up community gardens and things like that. Yeah. We're, we're uh, Christopher, we got, we've got uh, a, a countdown staring at us. I, right? I, I know. <laughs> I just want to, I guess, uh, offer an illustration of, of in the year 2006, I was uh, abroad in France mm. and uh, we were on the train to um, to Versailles and uh, ran into another American who's traveling abroad. And I was like, hey, you know, like oh, another American, like we France is super cool. We went to France because France is cool. Right. And we love France. But to, to and, and French people like they're, they're fun. Uh, to talk to and and to meet and, and the different perspective and and we have all these different cultures that are awesome to encounter but there's something about being home about in, encountering this this person who's traveling who was a very interesting person kind of this citizen of the world who had had been a teacher in several South American countries and was traveling to Oman to teach uh, and it was like ah a fellow countryman and and that's okay. You know, it's, it's not exclusionary. Um, it's okay to love one's country, uh, and it's okay to love America and celebrate it. So, Kirk, you've got a a, a really cool way to uh, to kind of close this uh, podcast, and so I'm excited to, for this. Yeah. So, uh, we we last Sunday at the church where uh, we're, we're we worshipped, um, we sang "America the Beautiful." Um, and that was composed by Catherine Lee Bates, and I was there. Kathy Bates, the actress. Yeah, actually not, surprisingly. <laughs> and I was there um, on the eastern side of Pikes Peak when she when she wrote it. You were there when she wrote it? Where she wrote it. Oh, okay. And there's a bench that actually kind of says where she wrote it. And um, the opening line suddenly lit up for me. Oh, beautiful for spacious skies, for amber waves of grain, purple mountain majesties above thy fruited plains. To the, to the, to the east, I saw... Um, field stretch, I swear, mm. to Kansas. Mm. <laughs> and then as I turned my head to the west, towering over me were purple mountain majesties. Um, and uh, it just struck me as we were singing it, Christopher, on the America the Beautiful both marvels at the beauty and the loveliness and the inheritance of growing up American, um, and also um, um, begs that uh, may God thy gold refine. Yes, that was that's the line God that struck mend me. thine every flaw. And so I think that's right. It's I not saying right. it's not saying uh, we are great because no. we're awesome. It's saying God, like God, has established this this country because yeah. God, you know, 
God is is sovereign, and and uh, and, and we are yeah interceding, saying God, um, mend our flaws. Yeah. So I'd say we can we, can we can wrap wrap up by saying I, I think that 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 really captures gratitude mm. um, and imploring for uh, that 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 we um, that our that our gold be refined that yes. we be refined. And Amen. we have 50 seconds left before this finishes. Christopher, shall we end in prayer? Let's. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. Let us pray. Grant us, O Lord, we pray, the spirit to think and do always those things that are right, that we who can do no good thing apart from you may by you be enabled to live according to your will. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Lord God, by the providence of our founders, won their liberties of old. Grant that we and all the people of this land may have grace to exercise these liberties in righteousness and peace. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all evermore. Amen. Amen. Next week, Kirk. Next week, man.